think through and pray through that song. It is a tremendous commitment to the will of God. When you love, I love. When you move, I move. I will follow you. And that's part of what we're going to talk about today in the Lord's Prayer. I will be loved. Let's look to the Lord for an added blessing. Father, I just ask that you will fill us all from the inside out. That you will continue to teach us the greatness of your kingdom. That we will see that your ways are higher than any way that we could ever come up Lord, as we do that, we're reminded how often uh, we lift our own will up against you. Uh, we think our ways somehow are competitive and maybe wiser, maybe smarter. Father, we doubt sometimes your goodness. And I pray this morning that you will let help us with your, to let your word inform us about who you are, about how much you love us, about what your desires towards us are. And Lord, I pray that as a church and as individuals, we can truly pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in Matthew 6, pray then like this. In the face of uh, abuses of prayer, where people were manipulating God or they were masquerading on their own to look good, Jesus says when you pray, do it like this. Not that he was giving a liturgy, although some people like to uh, recite the Lord's Prayer as part of a service and part of worship. And that's fine. But that's not the intent. The intent is to have a formula, to have a pattern, to lay our prayers over. That when we go to the God of the universe, how do you do that? Is it just start talking? And some of us love to start talking. We just like to talk. Uh, but is, is there an avenue? Is there a place to follow? Is there a demeanor of heart that I should have as I approach God? Are there steps I should go through to get myself mentally where I need to be? And as we consider those kind of things over the next few weeks, uh, just to see where we come and the greatness of God's kingdom, uh, it's a color grander than just religion. Uh, religion is that um, surface sort of thing. If you remember last week, we talked about those odd people called lumber scalers. Uh, those that go out there and they, they look for those veneer trees. Anybody know any of those guys? You know, we said they were the ones that you saw dust for deodorant. Uh, you know, when they, they see a veneer tree, they start crying because it's so beautiful. Uh, and the veneer is great, except when it comes to religion, veneer doesn't cut. You can't just have a surface religion. There's something grander. Uh, I like to go to a restaurant. And you probably do too, if you're eating. And, and when you do, have you ever had the occasion where you order something, and then you see what someone else got, and you want what they order, and you're like, that's grander. That's, oh, I can't believe that. Or I have a problem sometimes, like, looking with other people at other tables or whatever. And you look as they're carrying it by, and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I, I, sometimes I want to go over and go, what, what is that? What are you getting? That just looks grand. When it comes to the kingdom of God, it's, you, you looked over all the dishes, and there's a grandeur. There is a depth to the kingdom of God that is the plate worth ordering. It is the top of the line. And in that, we see in Matthew, that kingdom righteousness is greater because it's inward. We all need peace on the inside. We need change on the inside. 
People aren't basically good, no matter what you hear on TV. People need a savior. Kingdom righteousness that we've seen in Jesus' sermon is it's, it's on the inside. It's something greater and, and better than religion that just reforms the exterior. It's comfort on the inside. And that kingdom love is broader because it includes enemies. You look at other religions, enemies are supposed to be judged. Enemies are supposed to be avoided or punished. But in the kingdom of God, love your enemies. Do good to those who, who despitefully use you. That's grand. That takes something special. It takes an inward righteousness. And we hear that the kingdom worship is deeper because it's personal and intimate. The king of the universe is related to me and accessible by me. I can reach and touch God. I can have him touch me in my inner spirit when I'm troubled, when I'm just depressed. That's better than just religion. That conforms to some outward standards. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. And in that vein, God has given us instructions about how to communicate with him, how to fellowship with him, to go into your room, shut the door, intimate conversation, pray to your father who is in secret. Not that he's like a secret agent. Not that he's a secret no one's allowed to know. But it's a secret place that you go for conversations with someone you love where you won't be disturbed. Some place where the, the bustle of life is not taking place, where that intimate conversation can be had. And in that progression, as we look at all those things, uh, take the time and feel the weight, we said last week, to pray and, and uh, meditate upon what Jesus said. Because each phrase there is special. Each phrase has meaning. Things that have to be true of you to even utter those words if you're going to do it sincerely. Things that it implies when you're done praying that you're going to follow through with and things that you will do and complete. Take your time. And we did give an illustration. I won't bring it up again, so I don't like embarrassing people. But to say it like you love me, uh, as we, we talk about this prayer, it's not something you mindlessly utter, but you say it with great love for the Father. That there is a, a desire to see him in all his beauty. So as I pray, I am lovingly corresponding with God, not reluctantly. Our Father in heaven. That paradoxical perspective that the great God of the universe is my Father as well. That one that brings us in community because he is not just my Father, he is our Father. That reverent demeanor that we're supposed to have as we come before him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That humbles me. That makes me exalt him. It's a passion I have to lift him up. It becomes my singular focus. We looked at last week. Your kingdom come. That word come means let it come actually and completely by its own inherent God, may your kingdom come. That means I'm ready to submit. I know he's the king, and I know I'm not. I can live in submission to him. I participate in his kingdom. I come to the table of blessing, which is the church. We, we fellowship together. But that implies not just coming to the table. It means going to the wall where the battles is being fought. 
you ever had uh, the privilege of going to someone's house for a meal and you have dinner with them. That's the table. That's the fellowship. It's a different thing just to have that, that dinner, but hang around to help with the dishes. That's going to the wall. That's doing the whole thing. And that's what, when I say your kingdom come to the Lord, I'm saying I will fellowship and enjoy the kingdom people you have, and I'll hang around and do the dishes. I'll have a place where I, I pitch in. I do something to help advance the kingdom. And then I can engage life with certainty, knowing that the Lord of the God of the heavenly armies is my God. I can go forward with that. And that desire to see God's name hallowed, desire number one was your kingdom come. The second desire that naturally flows from that is our subject today, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have three points. I'm only going to cover one today. What a lot of subjects. So it, it'll take us a little while because you could really talk about the will of God and his kingdom for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, but we won't. We have more to get to. But I want you to picture the Lord's Prayer as a progression, as a, uh, a step, one after another. Uh, and in that progression, it, it kind of unfolds. And I picture it, I don't know if you ever... Um, Look at those Christmas specials, those horribly made but wonderfully beautiful Christmas specials. And there's one where they sing the song, put one foot in front of the other, and then soon, you'll be walking out the door. You know that song. You know, it, it's a progression. It, it's uh, carefully and, and diligently and, and, and it, with great care, put one foot in front of the other, then put another foot. And as you pray the Lord's Prayer, it's that deliberate taking of a step each way. And as that, that um, unfolds, I like to think of it something like this. Our Father in Heaven points us to the cross. It opens our heart in acceptance. God, and, God being God in Heaven and Father became the greatest reality because of the cross. You see, after the cross is when that, that um, picture of who God is my Father uh, became the strongest, the most obvious. So in as, as I pray that, the first step I do is we see God as close, yet I'm lifted up. He's beautiful. He is wonderful. And as I see that, I see Him close. And that is because of the cross. So when I go to God in prayer, the cross should be in my mind what he accomplished so that I can have access to him, so that I can even approach him. Secondly, hallowed be your name. This is kind of the first part of the Trinitarian, or the three gods, a three god in one aspect of the prayer. So in this, hallowed be your name, I raise my head up in worship. I look at his grandeur. I see who he is in his power and might. And in doing so, we see God is beautiful, and supreme beyond compare. Not that he somehow eked out all those others vying for worship. He is beyond compare. There is nothing that, that could even come close to, to being in his shadow in how great and wonderful he is. Hallowed be your name. Holy, lifted up, set apart. 
The next step as we go through it is your kingdom come. That's, that's Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who will bring all of history to a glorious climax when he returns to this earth, puts his foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits in two. That king, that wonderful son, is so wow, I'm part of that. He is the king and it raises my arms and it gets me excited. It's, we see God as our desired king and Lord of all. One that I'm in, in union with. I'm part of that kingdom. Which brings us to the next step. Your will be done. The Holy Spirit, who is the active agent, the active person, I should say, of God today, who helps his will be done. Who helps us on the inside know God's will, want God's will, love God's will, obey God's will. And this is, we see God as worthy of our unconditional obedience. He is the king. Therefore, I will bend my knee before him. And this challenges all of our views of God. When we pray, if we don't see God the right way, our prayers will either be uh, misguided or we won't pray at all because he's not a big enough God. He's not a good enough God. And as we think about our view of God, all of us pull what we perceive to be true of God from different places. Some pull it from family. Maybe their parents had a view of God, so it naturally became their child. When we hear God the Father, some people's father really wasn't that great. So when they say, oh, this is what a father's like, and that's God the Father? I don't think so. I think I'll pass on that. See, their view of God doesn't necessarily come from Scripture. It comes from experience. Or perhaps they've never been in church, but they turn on to TV, and they see Christian TV. So they're going to get a view of God and think, oh, that's what he's like. That's not really good. I'm not too happy about that. All he seems to want is money. That's all he's about. And, and or different views that are askew one way or another. Perhaps you've had a difficult life, and things have not gone well for you. And you're kind of battered and beaten. And you look at life and you say, well, this is the way life is. He's not very strong. He's not very powerful. He's not very wise. So we question God because of life. Perhaps it's other people we listen to. And they say, I need mean, God. God's for foolish, stupid people. I don't need God at all. And we go, oh, really? They're pretty well off and they're pretty respected and they don't need God. He must not be important to their view of God. They, they put all these pieces together. It's the truly happy person who can enjoy the kingdom of God, who lets the word of God define God. Let him tell us who he is and what he's like. And at that point, it becomes a question for each of us, will you trust him? Will I believe in the God of the Bible as he has revealed himself? Not in all the bits and pieces that I've got in different places and and, and the little tiny things people have said, and I just put them all together and say, okay, well, that's who God is. No, well, I let God define himself. Well, I let him tell me who he is. Then will I have the faith to believe that? You see, for some people in their view of God, that's him. The great and powerful eyes. In person. He doesn't really care. He's just up there and looking and waiting for someone to have fun, and when he does, he's going to put an end to it. That's God. He's like the, the person behind the... Uh, it's like a policeman behind the billboard waiting for somebody to, to go by and just get him. And 
I don't mean I'm sorry, Mr. Bean. But, but, but it's just, just waiting to catch you doing something wrong. And then, bam, gotcha. There's another extreme. Some people see God more like, yeah. You never thought you'd see that picture, church. I'll bet you. You know, it's like, he's just this happy, fluffy thing. He's, he's just this grand dinosaur that just giggles all the time. And he's just up there, and he's really inconsequential to life. But you need a happy thought? There he is. And he is God to them. Either of them really don't intersect with real life. One I'm scared of, one I don't think is trustworthy, and I stick him in the closet. The other one, he's just that. And he's just that happy little guy, and when we want something, we need to pull God into something, let's just pull Marty. Let's pull him in, he'll do good. You know, he doesn't require me to change my life at all. He loves me just the way I am. I can do anything. And you know, that's God. I would suggest that the God behind the Lord's Prayer is not either of those two. He is holy. He is majestic. He is trustworthy. But he is a God who demands I change. He demands that people come to him in a repentant heart, forsaking their sin, and acknowledging that he is high and lifted up, he is holy, that we want to see his kingdom come. And we really want to see his will be. You see, when we talk about God's will, you can't really do that without picturing some scales. Now, in that scale, every day we wake up, we are going to put one of two things on either side. And depending on our view of ourselves, or our view of God will depend on how the scale tips, and it will really depend upon whether we pray that day or not. And, and you can get all the books you want that say this is how you pray, and these are the tips, 10 tips for successful prayer life, and you can get the book and try it, and they don't pray anything. So, oh, there was, oh, did you just get this new book on prayer? It tells you how to do it. It's like it's, like it's a formula, like it's a recipe. No, it, it, it's not like that. If you see God, the way he really is, and you see yourself the way you really are, you will pray. There won't be other any other reaction from a human. We were made to pray to the God of the universe. We are most satisfied when we enjoy him and see him as he is. But when I get either God messed up or myself messed up in my perspective, all of a sudden it's Either I won't feel the need to pray, because I'm, I got this, or I won't think he's worthy of praying to, because I don't think he's good. I don't think he's able to step in and help me at all. So in this scale, on one side, you take your will, your knowledge, and your understanding. Okay? That goes on the scale every morning when you wake up. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, because I know you, would say I have a strong will, I have a strong will. Some have called me stubborn at times. And as you answer that question, I wonder, is the person next to you more stubborn than you? Don't answer. I just love it. Throw those kind of things out there and see what happens. You know, we have a strong will. And out of that will comes our will and plan of life. So I will wake up in the morning with my will on the scale, my knowledge. How many of you were right most of the time, right? You're right. How many of you ever really need to say the, the W word? 
What's wrong? I don't need to. I'm right. I have knowledge. I have understanding. I'm really easy to get along with as long as everybody does what I tell them. That's simple. So that goes on the scale. It's your understanding, your perspective, my perspective on myself. When I get up in the morning and it's time for the kingdom choice of the day, you put something on the scale. Then on the other side is God's will, his knowledge, his understanding. Do you think there's even a comparison? Intellectually, you're going to shout no. But practically speaking, there isn't. Because what happens is we sometimes doubt he is really good. He is really smart. He really knows what's best. Because if we were convinced of this, we would not make many of the choices that we do. We would not treat some of the people the way we treat them if we really believe his will, his knowledge, and his understanding wins the day. So as we come to the Lord's Prayer and we pray to God and say, thy will be done. We are saying some significant things about ourselves. We are saying some significant things about him. And when we come to the scales, he wins. And, and when we put God's knowledge against our own, it's like, boom, he just comes down. It's like, you know, I need you. I need you every hour. Lord, I need you. I have no understanding that is worth anything. I have no real knowledge, even though I think I do and act like I do. Lord, compared to you, I can't tell the beginning from the end whatsoever. So those were the subpoints. The main point for the sermon today simply is trusting God with certainty. To be able to say, your will be done. And believe it, desire it, and want it more than anything else. It's kind of funny that this portion of the prayer comes before later in Matthew 6. We're going to talk about worry and treasures. Because when we get the Lord's Prayer right, those other things that we'll see later in Matthew kind of take perspective. So what I'd like to do is, in trusting God with certainty, take the phrase from John Piper's prayer today as he prayed about the will of God. And he said, is he... All, he is the all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy. His will would be done throughout the whole world. And those four words capture many of the false ways that we look at God. Because when I go to prayer, one of the biggest hindrances to prayer is that God is not big enough, or he is too small, or, and at the same time, I'm too big. I have a, a, a view of my own self and my own ideas that are way out of proportion. So if I'm big and God is small, why pray? It's just not going to work. So as we look through God, one of the first to God, one of the first questions is, is God all good? This is about his character. There are many people, because the, the acceptable thing to say in churches, yes, he is all good. And I'm not talking about what you would say intellectually. But in your deep heart, in all that's happened in your life, with all the things that you face, do you believe that God is all good? That he is wonderful? That there is nothing bad in him whatsoever? It deals with, does God make mistakes? Does he really understand the situation? Does he understand the heartache that I face? 
Does he even get the betrayal or, or the regrets that I have? Does he get what's happened to me and who's inflicted misery upon him? Is he good? Does he get it really in his character? And my perspective of that will make a big difference in my prayer life. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of and in the original, it's the lights, not just the Father of light. The Father of all lights. The Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, if there's anything good in this world, if there's anything perfect that touches us, it's from Him. He is the source. He is the one who gives good and perfect things. In fact, he is so good and so perfect that there isn't anything that even casts a bit of a shadow upon what he's doing. Because he is the father of all the lights. There's no shadows when he's around. Now, you can think sometimes when people have done things for you, and, and they're done, and it was a good thing that they did. And you may well wonder why I did that. Wonder what's up with that. Yeah, and we think there's like a shadow that's somehow tainting what they've done. Or that there's a shadow that makes it a little bit less than good. When it comes to God, His Word tells us He is good. He is perfect. In fact, there's not even a shadow of doubt that should be cast upon Him. And, and the question then comes back to us, do I believe that? Will I interpret God in light of His Word? Or will I take my circumstances, elevate them, look through them, and say, God, you're this way because of what this, this, this has happened. To be able to pray, thy will be done. We need a firm grasp that he's a good God. That he is a loving God. That he is for us. And that if, if he's not looking down upon me. If, if I come to Jesus Christ, he's looking at me with love all the time. He's not up there, you disgust me. Will you measure up? You did that again? Really sick of this. That sounds like parents. That's not God. God is a God who loves, who picks us up, who wants us back. And when we do fall, he is never disgusted because the Bible says in Christ, he is satisfied with Christ. Now, I may be living in a dissatisfying way, but that has not changed my position before him. He is a good God. Is he all wise, though? Does he really know what to do and when to do it? This is the idea of the what and when of God's will, as it's directed towards me. Have you ever wondered, why this, why now? Or how much has come down upon me? He's not really that wise, or he would have at least spread this out some. I shouldn't have to take so much, and this was just like the worst time. And when we say that, you, you kind of take a step back. It's like, ever, would there ever really be a good time for the heartaches that we face? No, but it, it's just that, that cry of despair within us that we'd love to see it removed. And like, why me? Why this? Why now? Why this much? Is he really wise? If he's in control, shouldn't he have just metered it out a little bit differently? That's wearisome. That's a lot to think about. And I would suggest to you that is more than humans were ever given to think about, is to try to figure out the wisdom of God. And to say, Lord, you know, I think I could have just coached you on this one. 
Because if you had let, you know what, this should have happened to them. Because you know what, they're like, I didn't deserve this. This wasn't very wise of you. But if we look at Ecclesiastes, the great preacher there, looks at, at life as it is, and he, and, and, he, and he paints a line under the sun. And, and he looks at life here just with earth wisdom, and then he brings God into and, and he helps people see, you know, without God coming into the picture, there's no, uh, everything's vain. It's like soap bubbles that just pop. So in Ecclesiastes, he says, Then I saw all the work of God, that man can find out, excuse me, then I saw all the work of God, that man can find out the work that is done under the sun. However much, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So in Ecclesiastes, the preacher is saying, you can think about it all night long. You can cry about it all night long and say, I need to understand. If I'm going to follow God, I need to understand what he's doing. You never will. You can stay up all night, every night, demanding understanding. And it's like, you can't figure the work of God out. If he's good, he is wise. He has got this. He has it under control. And you need to let him be a big enough God to do something that is not according to what you understand. In fact, Proverbs, you know, in all your ways acknowledge it. Don't lean on your own understanding. And when you do that, you acknowledge him, his grandeur, his wonder, he will direct your path or make your paths straight. We will never, ever know. In fact, Romans 11 takes it a little bit further. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. It means unfathomable, untraceable, past finding out. That he is so far removed in his thinking, his ways, and his plans for mine, that if I ever think I could really understand that, I'm really kidding myself. And I'm really lifting myself up to kind of his place. It's like, God, I, I, I can follow you, but just submit your plans for approval and interpret every morning, and let me read through them. And as I do, I'll let you know how you did. And that's how many people approach life. Yeah, I'll do the will of the Lord as long as I get it. As long as I understand. But he is good. He is what? Psalm 103 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He knows and remembers that we are dust. What does that mean? My compassionate, all-wise, good father knows how much I can and in no way will ever let anything touch me that will crush me. In fact, he takes his grace and pours it out on his children. And said, here's the grace. Believe me and trust me as these things happen in your life. My grace is sufficient. I am good. I am wise. I know your frame. I know it, how much would bury you. And this isn't that much that would. My grace, if you would embrace me and trust me, is big enough to uphold you in the midst of all of this. He is a good God. He is a wise God. And in fact, if I, to the degree that I try to force his will into my understanding is the place that I am demanding a human God. 
I want God to make sense to me. I'll tell you, if God could make sense to me, I don't think he'd be a God worthy of your worship. He is above us, beyond us, and if I think he has to make sense and I need to understand it, then I'm kind of putting myself up with him or I'm bringing him way down low. That somehow in my finite little mind, my depraved little mind, that's tainted by all of my passions, that somehow I need to understand what that good and wise God is doing. Fourthly, is he all just? Is he fair? Maybe he's got some favorites. Because it sure is what it seems like some of these people got it better than me. And as I look at them, I'm like, he's not really that just, it seems, because I'm trying to do good, I'm trying real hard, and I'm really struggling. It doesn't seem just. And they question that. This deals with the how. How could he allow me to be so wrong? Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the good suffer? They are getting away with this. And they did this to me many, many years ago. And I'm going to hate them, and I'm going to be bitter against them, because I will inflict as much against them as I can, because I don't think God is just, and he will not make these wrongs right. So I will brood over it. And I will let that root of bitterness just grab a hold of me and, and, and get my heart, because I don't really, really believe that he is just, and the justifier of those who seek him. So there's this place where we become cynical, we become bitter and angry, and we can't really pray Thy will be done, because we don't think he's good, wise, maybe he's not just, he's not fair. And our bitterness and anger tell us that. But we read in Isaiah 42, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, speaking of Jesus Christ, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. In other words, he's not going to come as this conquering king that's going to make you do his will. But listen to his heart of justice. A bruised reed he will not break. That's you. That's me. We are those bruised reeds. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. In other words, as bruised reeds, as wicks that are about to get blown out by the wind, he knows us. And he will execute justice on our behalf. He will never allow us to be crushed to the point where we, we've got nothing. We always have him. And he will bring justice to the world. He will bring justice to our situation. He will bring justice in all of life. Because verse 4 says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. In other words, this, this patience that he has in bringing forth justice will go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And justice will be uh, metered out and, and go upon everybody. Basically, nobody ever gets away with anything. You are either under the blood of Christ and he has taken God's just demands and satisfied them for you. Or you will face the justice of God and never get away with anything. I can't think of how many people go through life thinking that they're getting away with stuff. 
they're dishonest, distrustful, and they just think that, you know, and I, I'm going to accumulate, I'm going to step on people, I'm going to do this and do that. And, and they think that somehow justice will never happen to them. You see it in some of the movers and shakers of our world when the headline comes up, allegations against so-and-so, or this person who thought they were untouchable. And that's just earthly justice catches up with many people. But did you ever get the feeling that some of the movers, shakers, and politicians of our world are still getting away with it. And justice in this world has not really caught up with everybody. It's a smokescreen. It's a temporary thing. God is merciful. He has a, a bowl of grace and mercy he's poured upon this world. And just because the judgment has not been executed against somebody doesn't mean they're off the hook. God is not slack. He's not slow. He wants people to come to him and they shouldn't perish. And he's in grace. But justice will come. Anything that has ever touched you, any wrong that has ever happened, if they don't come to Christ, which would be the greatest good we would ever want for them, they don't get away with it. He is just. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until justice has been established in all of Lastly, is his will all holy? In other words, completely set apart, completely wonderful in all that it is. Put it, and the cookies on the bottom show, is his will unequivocally and completely better than my own plans? Really? Is it better than what I would have come up with? Because sometimes we come to God with an agenda, and we will only be happy, but only be satisfied if he complies. Lord, this is how it's supposed to be. And I'm praying, make it happen. As if he is that gene of ours. If you come to American Gospel this week, that's one of the themes of Christianity. Turns Jesus into the genie in the lamp that if we rub him just the right way, we'll get When I come to him, I need to know his will is holy. That my plans, my desires, my thoughts don't even come close to what he has. So I really, in humility, repent of insisting on my own way. And I'm captivated by his beauty and saying, Lord, I don't think you understand it. I don't know why. And I look around and I, I don't see things the way I wish they were. But Lord, I trust in your holiness, in your wisdom. And that your holiness takes what you do and separates it from me so far that your good is so desirable, Lord, that I, I can't get it. I realize that. And I'm okay with that. Because when I know you're good, and I know you're love, I know you're just, and all of these things, I have confidence. I can trust you with certainty with everything in me. With every part of my being, I can rest in you no matter what comes my way. Psalm 18. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For those, for who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? He is holy. He is wonderful. His ways are perfect. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. 
but the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts, the Lord, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To be able to pray, your will be done. We need to be confident in the holiness, in the justice, in the wisdom, in the goodness of our God. Then, when we pray, your kingdom come, our need will bend, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, in my heart, wherever God is, is taught and known in the Holy Universe. Prayer is my declaration that He is all of these things and more. If God is not bigger, He is not worthy of prayer. If I'm too big, I will not pray. So in the big picture, as far as the will of God, we read these words in Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And pay attention very closely here. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Those words are descriptive words, good, acceptable, and perfect, are taken from the Old Testament sacrificial system. A sacrifice had to meet a certain requirement. They had, it had to be good, acceptable, and perfect if God was going to, to uh, allow it to be offered as, as an uh, adequate sacrifice. So in the big picture of things, God says, you put yourself on the altar. And as you do that, and as, as you let me transform you by the renewing of your mind, and you stop being conformed to the world. By testing, you will discern the will of God. Now, testing here is not smorgasbord testing. Ever go to a buffet? Like, well, that looks good. Let me try a little bit. Ugh, that's horrible. Nah, I'll pass. It's not that kind of testing. This is testing with the intent and knowledge that what you're testing can already do everything it says it can do. It's demonstrating the will of God. So that as we come to the Lord in prayer and say, your will be done, his will is something that when we enter into it, when we embrace it, the assumption is you will already be blessed by it. And this testing that you do will bring into your heart the, the joy and experience of it. So when it says that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, does it really mean how it appears to me? Those words are something in the original called opposition. In other words, they define God's will. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get it, I'm going to understand it or anything, but it means this. It's good that it's morally acceptable and there's never anything in it that is not good. Never. It doesn't happen. It's acceptable. It's pleasing to God and it's not like my tainted approval will somehow get it. It's, it's all about what his will is. It's good, it's acceptable, and perfect. It means it's not lacking anything all the way through to completion. It's got all the pieces in the box. There's nothing missing. So that as we come to God in the big picture, he's saying this, that when you pass, 
when you see the will of God demonstrated in your life, know and with confidence you can trust him. That it is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. It's the best he has to offer. It doesn't get any better than that. And that gives me a confidence to be able to forsake my ways, to say no to relationships that are wrong, to turn my back on certain kinds of sin that would just obscure him, and we'll talk more about that next week, than getting the obstacles out of the way. But this is just making sure that you know that this God who loves you, loves you madly, and he got everything that he could ever have available and given to us in his will. Which ends with the big, big promise. Because if you're hearing me say that everything is good that comes from God, you're putting it against your life and saying, there's some not-so-good things in my life. How do those come together? How does that big picture look good, acceptable, and perfect? Romans 8, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning to deep for words. At times, we do not know if we're praying the right thing. Or the hurt is so deep, we can't even put it into words. Somebody says, what's wrong with you? There's no words to tell you what's wrong. There's no words to tell you the depth of the hurt. That's when the Holy Spirit in you hits your heart and brings it to the Lord and says, let me tell you what they're going through. Let me explain it. Let me define it. Let me pray for them correctly because they're such a mess right now. They can't. They don't even get it. That's the comfort, the big picture. Groaning's too deep for words. And he who searches hearts that knows you and understands you what is, and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the He brings us to that place to give us everything we need. And we know that for those who love God, those who can pray the first part of the prayer sincerely, who can say, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Those are the ones that love God. Those are the ones that this promise applies to. All things work together for... Shout it out. Good. Say it like you mean it. It's like saying it like a bump. They work for good to those that love God, those who called according to his purpose. What does that mean? I have no idea except it's true. He brings everything in a redemptive way to glory. <coughs> he will do it. He will accomplish it, whether I understand it, see it, or experience it or not. He even takes the, the, dark, the darts of Satan, redeems them, and brings good from them because he's a good God. He doesn't ever cause evil. He is not the author of sin. But in this world where he has allowed love to be a choice, Love has to have choices. And when people choose against him, evil takes over, and he says, before it crushes us, before it crushes the bruised reed, he grabs it and says, I've got a hold of that. And as you love me, I will take it and bring good about it in your life. Your character will be different. You will be more sensitive. You'll be more kind. You'll be more trusting. It will change you because I will bring good out of what was meant to you for evil. That is a good God. That is a God that I can come to and say, your kingdom come and get down on my knee 
take your will. Because I can trust him with serving. Now that doesn't mean I haven't had questions and doubts in my life. Difficulties accepting what's come my way. And every time I feel like David in the Psalms where I'm just grieving and questioning God. Like, but when the end of the day comes, you rest somewhere. And when you rest and say, Lord, I just emotionally spent myself before you. Bring me back to your holiness. Bring me back to your justice. Bring me back to your wisdom. Bring me back to your goodness. Because you are too good to be unloving. You are too wise to be unloving. And let me rest in who you are. And really pray with all of my heart, not my will, but yours be done. That the will of God would be done here on earth as it is. As we sing our closing song, it's an old, old hymn from 1883. But I guarantee it won't sound like it. This is an updated version of I Know Whom I Have Believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And the fourth stanza, we read these words. I know not what good or ill may be reserved for me. A weary ways or golden days before his face. I see. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. A good God who is for us who will not let you fall, will not let you stumble, but will hold you together, and even takes the fiery darts of evil that are coming to you, grabs them before they toast you, grabs them, and says, I will turn this into good because you love me. Because you love me. This will be good. Maybe sometimes we get glimpses of that, but that's not what gives us the faith. The faith is in the God who revealed himself in his word. And he said, this is who I am. This is how I act. Will you believe it? Will you trust it? And it's a tall order because we as humans, when we go to the scale, I will, his will. His knowledge, my knowledge. We fight. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead God. I just trust that all of us will let God find himself. We will put faith in him and trust him and be able to pray, your kingdom come, your will Father, guide our hearts. Help us in our weaknesses. Help us when our faith falls. Help us when it seems that life is overwhelming us. But let us know that you will not let a bruised reed 